February 21st, 2019, 7.18 p.m. The secrets of black boys, stories heard and stories lived. He was only 11 when he saw his brother come back home with his eyes closed shut and his face beat up, wiped them tears away and man up. The hate he was given when they jumped him in, he gave right back to the world again and again so he dare couldn't cry, he had to learn to be a man. Black boy, men don't cry, they say, for if you cry, black boy, it either means you're a punk or you're gay. The secrets of black boys. He went downstairs to learn a life lesson. He had to learn how to fight so they wouldn't be stressing. Square up, block your face, lean back when they throw a punch and strike them to their lip busted and only blood they can taste. If you ever let a nigga put his hands on you, I'ma put my hands on you. And if you ever lose, go back and do what you got to do. Secrets of a black boy, stories experienced, lived, and told. He never wanted to be a fighter. He'd rather be lost in the keys. He'd rather unball his fist to be a writer and write poetry about the smell of his block with its old black homes and its pretty green trees. He didn't want to throw or catch a ball, living his life playing a game, the secrets of a black boy. The person who was supposed to be watching him laid next to him and told him to pretend to play dead. He thought that maybe this was normal, but that was just what they said. I guess to say the least, he was used as just a body for some, but not used to being some body. So he's scared to be loved because he's scared to be treated again like he's nobody. The secrets of a black boy. Sometimes black boys have to grow through life with our mouth taped shut. Too afraid to not be believed. Too afraid to mess your comfortableness up. Too afraid to see our parents blame themselves for a society that was built to hate us. Which is why we look to God who made us, hoping that he will be the one to save us. We live so much of our life hiding behind secrets which are sometimes just our stories. But if you tell yours, I'll tell mine. For you, I'll run the longest race no matter how many times they try to stop me. I'll save face to protect you and let nothing block me. I'll scream from the top of my lungs even if the world won't hear me. I'll talk until they're annoyed even if they think I'm lying. I'll keep telling my secrets of a black boy. Welcome to another episode of Rethinking Manhood. Okay, random fun fact. This is Loki, the second podcast that I've had. I started a podcast, I think in 2019, actually, um, for like a day. And I was like, nah, this crap is hard. And this is not as easy as turning on a microphone and talking. But I remember the podcast was called Life for Real, where we talk about life for real. And I was thinking like, dang, that was kind of catchy. But today's episode is about the construction of black masculinity. Um, And I hope that everyone stays for this episode, even my non-black folks who are listening, because I think that um, it's very important. I think it's very important, especially as a way of contextualizing this podcast. I think although within this podcast, I'm really just talking about patriarchy and all things related to 
to masculinity. My origin of interest in this topic starts with black masculinity. Also think it's important to name that like we can't isolate our identities and separate them in the sense of like, you know, my blackness isn't on one side of the room and my my maleness or masculinity is on another side of the room. Like these two things are all of me and they are connected. The way that I view and understand masculinity is largely based out of my experiences growing up black and growing up with the context of black masculinity. If you've listened to this podcast before, um, my story is is embedded all throughout um, in so many different ways. But I think I started asking questions about masculinity really early on. Um, and I think a lot of these questions were coming from a belief that something must be wrong with me. <laughs> like I was, I, I can remember this feeling of like, I don't know if I'm, a, I, if I fully identify with this box that I feel like people around me are pushing me into. And is that an issue with me or is that an issue with them? Like, are they tripping or am I tripping? Um, and then as I got older, I started getting very curious and confused and just conflicted with this depiction of black manhood that I saw on social media. I saw it in movies. I saw it in music, but I also kind of saw it in my everyday life. Um, something about my lived experience is I have been surrounded by Black folks my entire life. <laughs> um, in fact, the most that I ever was around non-Black folks in my life was college. Uh, but up before that, like every school that I went to was majority folks of color, even though it wasn't always majority Black folks. It was always like other folks of color. And most of my friends were usually always Black so I didn't see these perceptions just like on TV, but these were these perceptions were a part of my everyday life. I saw this depiction of black manhood show up in my cousins and my friends in school. It was I was completely surrounded um, by it. And when I'm talking about this depiction or this perception, it was this this view of black manhood as like black men being hypersexual, being aggressive, being strong and being violent. The older I got, I knew that these perceptions were definitely rooted in racism. I knew that from the get go. I started to see how these perceptions led to the criminalization of black men um, as I got interested in youth development and youth work, I started to see that within the education system in America, we treat black boys like they are adults. Um, and then I also noticed that black boys were always being pushed into athletics. And I was always trying to figure out, like, why is that? Another thing, too, that I was curious about is how these same perceptions of Black manhood started to get lumped into being a part of Black culture. And I was like, mm, I don't know about all that. So those were the questions that I started asking about masculinity, which led me on a journey to looking deeply and closely at where does this all come from? Whenever you are unpacking the origins of anything, it's always important to look at history because history does matter and history does echo. First, let's talk about scientific racism. In the book Types of Mankind, published in 1854, 
authors Josiah Knott and George Glidden display racist visual rankings of Apollo Belvedere, a black man, and a chimpanzee. So basically, to kind of make this a bit more explicit, Apollo, a lot of Greek history there. I I wish I knew it all. Just kind of see it. It's a famous statue. If you look it up, you've definitely seen a picture of this statue. statue, But it's like his brain, a black man's brain, and then the brain of a chimpanzee. And essentially, the uh, Apollo brain is kind of showing like a human brain. And then essentially, the brain of the black man and the ranking kind of um, visual in the chimpanzee is similar. This was used to push and support this dehumanizing belief that Black people aren't actually humans. As we think about origins of Black masculinity, this becomes important. It becomes important to realize that Black Americans were seen and defined as animals in America and during slavery. Also, the role of a Black man in the antebellum South during slavery was to do manual work. Abby Ferber uh, has a work called The Construction of Black Masculinity, uh, White Supremacy Now and Then. And in that text, they talk about how because Black men did more manual work, there became a depiction of Black slaves as being big, strong, and stupid. The focus in the origin of black masculinity is centered around the black body and the black the black male body to be more uh, uh, specific. Patricia Hill Collins, the author of Black Feminist Thought, also has a work called Black Sexual Politics, where she talks about how white elites reduced black men to their bodies and identified that the most important aspects of a black man were their muscles and their penises, leading to the view of seeing black bodies as something that must be tamed, controlled, and something that is inherently sexual. So when we think about um, this obsession with like black male penises, we see this in porn culture. We see this in movies. We really see it everywhere. We see it in comedy. It's really wild. I mean, like I could tell y'all stories how wild that it like there have been things that people have said to me before that I'm like, this is out of pocket pocket and I don't know who raised y'all. But this also stems back from history. Where, like, the black male body was simply reduced to muscles and penis sizes. And that's it. It's also just wild to think about, like, this is science. This is the science of the time. Like, there, this is, I'm telling y'all, white supremacy. Like, I tell y'all, it's a thing. Because literally, they were trying to make scientific arguments to, like, compare black folks to animals. And it didn't just stop with scientists. White men began creating the brute, which is a caricature, which uh, I always struggle with that word, a caricature um, that portrayed black men as being savage, animalistic, destructive, and criminal, um, and also deserving punishment and death. Uh, and this is where, you know, that that fear of black men being a threat to white women comes from. And as we're still even talking about patriarchy amidst all of this, but as to be a man is largely defined in this time as having control, black men became seen 
to white men as a threat to white masculinity. Um, Abby Ferber has a quote that I'm going to read that says it way better than I can say it. Um, But here's what Ferber says. Continuing the historical construction of white male entitlement, to be a male in this discourse is to have control over women and other men. Interracial sexuality represents the loss of this control. White men are assumed to have natural rights to white women. All right, I'm hoping y'all are still with me. So let's do a quick little summary of everything that we've talked about in the last 30 seconds or so. Maybe it's been a minute, I don't know. (laughs) So we talked about scientific racism. Scientific racism is scientists making these arguments about black brains and black intellects and comparing the black brain as being more similar to the brain of an animal than to other humans. We talked about slavery, where black folks are reduced to their bodies and value based on how strong they are and the manual labor that they can do. We talked about how white men saw black men as a threat to white masculinity. Therefore, they used media to create fear of black men. They wrote books, they wrote cartoons and other forms of media to suggest that black men cannot tame or control their sexuality. They are predators to white women and are dangerous and a threat to society. They created fear. Just with the little that we've talked about, Do you hear what I hear and do you see what I see? Because what I hear and what I see is history, history echoing all throughout our culture today. These same perceptions and these same messaging and beliefs still prominent today. There is still such a concept that black bodies need to be tamed. I mean, when we think about athletics, athletics reinforces this entire belief. It's enforcing this belief that black bodies are only safe when they are tamed by whiteness. There's this view and argument that's constantly being made that black bodies are naturally bigger, naturally stronger, naturally more athletic, which is literally just recreating the buck and brute image during slavery. It's also weird how often I think sports with young people can be seen as this savior. Like I think when there is a troubled young person, we see sports as like the thing that will get them together. I think it's literally reinforcing this belief that black bodies are naturally dangerous and need to be placed under control in some sort. Another way that we see this history echoing is, I don't know if, There are, I mean, I would hope not. In 2022, I would hope not, but you never know. I don't know if if there are any legitimate scientists who are making arguments about the intellect of Black folks, but I do think what people are doing now is it has shifted from biology to culture, um, which I think brings into questions around who and what do we blame. The stereotypes about Black men were once attributed to biology, but now become attributed to Black culture. Patricia Hill Collins also talks about this in her work. And I guess what we mean by, or or I guess what I mean by talking about us blaming culture is I think we do this blame game thing where we look at like rap music and hip hop music and say that like 
hip hop and rap is the problem because they're they're endorsing this these perceptions and like they are you know contributing to this violence um but completely ignoring the way that white supremacy has shaped the world's perception of black masculinity so now it's kind of like you know at one point it was the belief that biologically black folks were not as intellectual and now it's the belief that like well black this is just black culture right like black culture is is rooted in aggression violence and all these other things To be a young black man in America is to be treated like an endangered species. It's to be treated like you are a dangerous species. It is to be cautious of your existence, making the world uncomfortable. It is to see yourself as a threat, even when you're the one afraid. It is to live life constantly proving that you're a good black man. It is to believe that the only way to survive is to go to college, wear suits, get a career, and hopefully that will make you safe. It is to be conscious of the clothes that you wear, the way that you walk and talk and feel like whether you live or die is based off of the way that you are perceived. It is to have statistics constantly thrown in your face, constantly being reminded that there's a jail cell with your name on it. It is to have the abstinence of grace. For black boys learn early on that although we are boys, we can't make the mistakes that the white boys make. We can't do the things that the white boys do. They will get away. They will be forgiven. They will just be boys. We will be punished. We will be criminals. We will be expelled, suspended, marked and labeled for the rest of our lives. To be a young black man in America is to be restrained and restricted to boxes. The world is constantly trying to tell us who we are before we get the chance to tell them who we are. It is the never-ending fight to name ourselves, decide our own journeys, decide what we like and don't like, the freedom to explore. The freedom to not worry about survival. When I was in high school, I wrote a poem called A Letter to Black Men, and I thought about including that letter, but it is so cringe. I think what's so cringe about it is the way that it's rooted in respectability, politics, and the way that I think it was rooted in, I don't know, I think kind of seeing, and I mean, I didn't know better, so I'm not blaming myself for it but as an older person now um i definitely realized that i didn't understand the history of how black masculinity has been shaped and i think i was in a way like feeling i was blaming us as a community saying like we created this we need to fix this but also like missing the whole context of like hey white supremacy is a real thing But it leads me to just think about how growing up with this creation of an ideal Black man. um, And I think that often when we 
there's a lot of programs and things that exist for black young folks uh, where I think there's like a lot of organizations out there that support black boys. Um, And I do think that a lot of the goal of these organizations, whether implicitly or explicitly is to push black boys into this ideal black man image. Now, when I say the ideal black man, y'all know what I'm talking about, or maybe y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But when I think of this ideal black man, I think of the college educated black man who is in a professional, who, was always dressed in professional attire, whether that's suits and ties. Um, this person is in a position of power. They're in leadership, but they're a little rough around the edges. You know, they got that little swang to them. This person is heterosexual. This person is athletic. Um, and there's nothing like wrong with these things. Um, but I also think that the issue that I tend to have with them is that we are creating we are choosing the path that black boys take rather than allowing them to choose their own paths um and by that i guess what i mean is i think that an important way that we unlearn patriarchal masculinity and an important way that we unlearn these the influence of these perceptions is i think creating the space for black boys to be who they are not necessarily who we want them to be but creating space for them to be who they are, creating space for them to explore, creating space for them to find different interests um, and also investing in those interests as well. Because sometimes I think what happens is uh, I've seen this happen with one of my nephews is I think that like when black boys express interests that are outside of like the norms of masculinity i don't know if we invest in them right so if a black boy loves to dance we're, we usually don't sign them up for a dance class but if a black boy loves basketball we will quickly get them in an aau team get them in rec ball like we will take those steps um so i think it's really all about letting people become who they are and supporting them on that journey, providing them with the different activities and different things to kind of see where where is their gift, where are their talents, um, and also what do they just enjoy doing? What makes them feel the most like them? My dream for Black boys and Black men and really Black folks in America is that they would have the freedom to be who they are. That is my dream. That's it. That's that's the tweet. That's the podcast episode. Part of me feels like I ranted this entire episode, but I hope you all took something from it. Um, I hope that something was meaningful um, and it, it felt good to be able to just share what led me to this path of talking about masculinity. And yeah, this episode just reminded me of some things that I want to do that I wanted. I was like, ah, I want to share it with y'all, but I can't. Uh, because y'all y'all might might steal my stuff but yeah i'm just i'm excited i'm grateful grateful for this platform grateful for you all as listeners and grateful to in my adult life have the freedom to be who i am and i just hope that i can help encourage people to also live that out 
I'm going to close with my favorite poem in the world. I'm quickly Googling it as I am talking. Ah, I just dropped my mouse. But this is uh, my favorite poem in the world. And yeah, I just something in me just said, end with this. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. All right, y'all, go be liberated and go shine. I love y'all, and I will catch y'all next week for another episode. Peace.